Proverbs chapter 18. We read from James, which is sometimes called the New Testament Proverbs because of its pithy sayings. But we turn to the Old Testament Proverbs chapter 18 to read a chapter that has much to say about our tongues. In fact, sprinkled throughout the Proverbs are many Proverbs about the tongue, and I would hope to quote some of those to you later in the message. But we're considering the ninth commandment on this Lord's Day, which is the commandment that says you shall not bear false testimony against your neighbor. You have to be careful how we speak about people. Proverbs 18, we read the whole chapter, beginning at verse 1, the very word of the Lord. A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise judgment. A fool has no delight in understanding, but in expressing his own heart. When the wicked comes, contempt comes also, and with dishonor comes reproach. The words of a man's mouth are deep waters. The wellspring of wisdom is a flowing brook. It is not good to show partiality to the wicked or to overthrow the righteous in judgment. A fool's lips enter into contention, and his mouth calls for blows. A fool's mouth is his destruction, and his lips are the snare of his soul. The words of a talebearer are like tasty trifles, and they go down into the inmost body. He who is slothful in his work is a brother to him who is a great destroyer. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. The rich man's wealth is his strong city, and like a high wall in his own esteem. Before destruction, the heart of a man is haughty. And before honor is humility. He who answers a matter before he hears it, it is folly and shame to him. The spirit of a man will sustain him in sickness, but who can bear a broken spirit? The heart of the prudent acquires knowledge, and the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. A man's gifts make room for him and brings him before great men. The first one to plead his cause seems right until his neighbor comes and examines him. Casting lots causes contentions to cease and keeps the mighty apart. A brother offended is harder to win than a strong city, and contentions are like the bars of a castle. A man's stomach shall be satisfied from the fruit of his mouth. From the produce of his lips he shall be filled. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruit. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. The poor man uses entreaties, but the rich answers roughly. A man who has friends must himself be friendly, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. God's word. If you'd open the Forms and Prayers book in front of you, the smaller book, the Forms and Prayers book, we'll turn in there to the Heidelberg Catechism, to page 250 in that book, to page 250. If you're not familiar with 
catechism. It has nothing to do with the Roman Catholic Church. Catechism is just a form of question and answer. And here, the Word of God, the teaching of the Word, is summarized in questions and answers. And we're on the question and answer dealing with the Ninth Commandment. You shall not bear false testimony against your neighbor. And so page 250, Lord's Day 43, question and answer 112, asks, well, what does that mean? What is God's will for you in the Ninth Commandment? And the answer, as we summarize that as God's people based on God's Word, it's that I, may, it's that I never give false testimony against anyone Twist no one's words, not gossip or slander, nor join in condemning anyone rashly or without a hearing. Rather, I should avoid, under penalty of God's wrath, every kind of lying and deceit as the very works of the devil. And in court and everywhere else, I should love the truth, speak it candidly, and openly acknowledge it. And I should do what I can to defend and advance my neighbor's honor and reputation. Should we bow before the Lord and ask him to bless us on this Lord's Day with his word? Our Father in heaven, we come before your holy word. We have sung, praying that you would speak to us. And we do pray that again now. It's your word that we need to straighten out our words. And we pray, God, that you'd be pleased to show us the way of our Lord Jesus Christ, to bring us under conviction of sin, and to bless us in his saving grace with forgiveness and with the renewal of our lips. God, be glorified now, we pray, and give us your help from above. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, then we have come to hear God's word about our words, and so the Obvious relevancy to every one of us should be before us, right? Because we all speak. In fact, how many words, if you had to guess, how many words do you think you've spoken since our last Sunday's worship services? How many times have you expressed yourself? How many words have you used to communicate, to to express your observations or to inquire of others? We talk at home, we talk at work, we talk on the phone, talk at school. And we not only speak words, but we, we write words, we text words, we email words, we post words, we use a lot of words. And then you think not just about all that we express, but think about all the words we listen to. How much time we spend listening to other people speak to us or reading what they write. We humans speak a lot. Raymond Ortland, in his book on Proverbs, his commentary, actually it's a uh, very helpful chapter he has on the tongue as he tries to summarize a lot of Proverbs, and I, I want to give him a credit today. I, I make use of some of his thoughts and expressions here, but he writes, quote, that, that this fact that we speak as a lot as humans is an obvious sign that God made us. God uses words. Animals do not. We might teach an animal to say a few words or to give a few signs, but it's, it's humans from from a couple years old, begin speaking and don't stop. In fact, mothers sometimes wish little ones would stop talking and they are given to speech. It's a sign that we're made in God's image. God gave us words to, to communicate, to express ourselves, to praise him, to build relationships, to cooperate together and all of these things. In fact, words are what God has used to communicate himself to us. God speaks. 
But we don't always follow God's example, do we? We misuse words, and instead of using them to build up, we use them to destroy. Instead of using them to unify, we use them to fracture. And yet we don't go to jail for it. We maim people, we destroy people, we cripple people, and we don't go to jail because we live in a land of free speech. And that's a political privilege we're thankful for. It's foundational for a democratic republic, isn't it, that that political ideas can be debated openly and that politicians can be criticized. But what if political opponents begin to malign each other and twist each other's words and misrepresent what the other person said? Is that helpful? Is that good? What if, what if citizens begin to malign politicians without investigation of the facts, just saying whatever they want to say about politicians? Is that good? Do we have the right to free speech? Or isn't it true that in coming to the Lord Jesus Christ, we have forfeited that? Because now we confess I'm not my own. These lips are not my own. But I belong to Jesus Christ. Words are important. In fact, Proverbs 18 says in verse 21 that death and life are in the power of the tongue. Words matter, both for ourselves and for others. I'd like to consider the power of the tongue this morning. First of all, thinking of the tongue as a destructive force, and then thinking of the spiritual conflict in which God has rescued us, and then considering how we have opportunity now as Christians to use our tongues for good as a life-giving power. So those three points, our tongues as a destructive force, our tongues involved in a spiritual contest, and then our tongues remade as a life-giving power. Well, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Uh, Tongue can do a lot of good or a lot of bad, both for ourselves and for others, depending on how we use it. As one Puritan said, a foul tongue can destroy your own life. A false tongue can destroy someone else's life. And so we're thankful that the Lord who, as the Ten Commandments says, the Lord who brought us out of the land of slavery, the house of bondage, has given us now the Ninth Commandment to keep us free so that our tongues don't fall into the enslavement of the devil. Words matter. God sets a hedge around our words. Sometimes we belittle words, we... Well, boys and girls say, you know, sometimes, I don't know if they still say it. I don't know if I ever said it, but we all know the the slogan, right? That sticks and stones may break my bones, but words shall never hurt me. Words don't matter. Words don't affect me. Everybody knows that's fake. But sometimes we do. We do try to, to, to temper our guilt when we say, well, I didn't do anything. I just said a few words. I didn't really do anything. As if words don't really matter. But death is in the power of the tongue. Jesus told us we'll give an account for every word spoken. And so the context of the ninth commandment is actually the courtroom, isn't it? You should not bear false witness. Well, where where is witness given? The witness is given in the courtroom. And we know in Old Testament Israel, without video surveillance and forensic evidence, that people lived and died based on witness testimony. Two witnesses, it's enough to get you killed. So witnessing was tremendously important. Now, as we've noted before, when God gives us the perfect summary of his law and the Ten Commandments, he 
He always chooses one specific sin to represent a whole class of sins. And so here the specific sin that God drills down on is testimony, courtroom testimony, but it has implications for the whole of life. When we speak about people, the life of the defendant is in our hands. So God says, don't lie. But the Catechism rightly says that it's not just in the courtroom, but everywhere else I should love the truth. The Catechism rightly understands that I never give false testimony against anyone. I don't even, shouldn't even twist anyone's words or gossip or slander or join in condemning rashly. Avoid every kind of lying and deceit. There's a lot to be said in terms of the ninth commandment, isn't there? In fact, all of life is a kind of courtroom, isn't it? Wherever we go, we form judgments, and wherever we speak, we bear testimony. If we twist a person's words or slander them their name, we, we do them harm. Death and life is in the power of the tongue, Proverbs 18.21. It's literally death and life are in the hand of the tongue. When we speak, we hold someone's name in our hand to either smash it to the ground or to preserve it and lift it up in honor. And because Proverbs 22.1 tells us that a good name is more precious than riches, we can actually do someone a lot more harm by ruining their integrity than we can by robbing their house. So our words matter. Our conversations at church and at home and over the phone and in emails, Facebook, text messaging. There's nowhere where words are without consequence because people are always forming judgments based on what we say. In fact, our greatest offense against the ninth commandment is the false testimony we bear against God. Do you remember in Psalm 73, the believer, he says that he had envied the prosperity of the wicked. And I, he came to say to himself, I've cleansed my hands in vain. This whole living a godly life is worthless. And then he says, if I had spoke thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. If I had given vent to what I was thinking, I would have, I would have scandalized the church. Well, sometimes we do, don't we? We scandalize the church. Because we suggest to people that God isn't so fair and God isn't so good and God isn't so wonderful. And that's false testimony against God. Our words harm the reputations of others. Ironically, our words even harm ourselves. It's, it's interesting, isn't it, that our words even influence our own judgments. It's one thing to have negative thoughts about someone, but when we speak it, we come to believe it more deeply, don't we? We accept it. We consent to it. We voice it. And when no one refutes it, we feel all the more emboldened to believe it. Words have power. Now, they don't have the kind of power that, that one TV preacher suggests by leading everyone to make affirmations or to go on the Oprah Winfrey class show and to lead a general audience to, to declare, I am strong, I am healthy, I am victorious. I am excited for my future. For a Christian minister to do that to a general audience mixed with unbelievers is horrendous. But words do have an influential power. 
If an unbeliever says, I'm victorious, and they're living in sin, it doesn't change the reality. When you say peace, peace, when there is no peace, it doesn't make peace. But because we're made in God's image, who spoke the world into existence, our words have a certain kind of power and influence over our minds and the minds of others. They have the power to maim and mutilate and wound and destroy. And we're very careful with our kitchen knives, but we're not always very careful with the swords of our tongues. And sometimes we say, well, I just have to vent to someone. And Proverbs 29, 11 says, a fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. When we open our mouths to speak about someone else, we have to ask ourselves, why am I about to say this? What's my goal? What's my purpose? What good do I hope is going to be accomplished? Is my goal the same as God's goal? Would Jesus Christ be proud of this speech? Would this be something I would be glad to tell the person whom I'm speaking about that I said about them? Proverbs 17 verse 9 says that whoever covers an offense seeks love. But he who repeats a matter separates close friends. Our words have the power to destroy and to ruin community and to divide friends and to raise suspicions. Proverbs 16, a worthless man plots evil and his speech is like a scorching fire. A dishonest man spreads strife and a whisper separates close friends. And sometimes we say, well, I didn't say anything that wasn't true. But you know, even if you speak something that is factually true about another person, but you don't say it in love, it is not true. Then it's not true. Because truth has a context. And facts spoken out of that context misrepresent people. God has entrusted our neighbor's name to our care. And God has set up the ninth commandment as a hedge and said, I care about your neighbor's name, and you must care also. You're not free just to repeat whatever is factually accurate. We must ask, why am I repeating this? Does it need repeating? Would it be good to repeat this? Is it helpful? Raymond Ortland suggests that some people become garbage collectors. In fact, he suggests that some individuals major on this, they become the compassionate person whom everyone goes with all their complaints. And they just store up all the garbage about other people. They listen to it and receive it. Actually, I was thinking about the, the recyclers that in Illinois used to come past our house all the time. Maybe, I don't know if scrap metal is worth more than, I don't see them as, as much here, but... But we have guys in old pickups come by all the time gathering up, and they have this, this whole heap of, of wreckage in the back of their truck, all this metal to be recycled, all these twisted things from people's homes. But what if God pulled the tarp off our pickup? Would he discover all the wreckage of other people's lives piled up? Would he be carrying it around, waiting to recycle it? To tell the story to someone else? You know, when metal prices are high, at least some years ago, I remember hearing crazy stories about the recycling centers receiving quite strange things, 
brand new rolls of copper wire. Well, obviously they were just stolen. Or somebody dragging a light pole behind his pickup with a chain. Just knocked it off. And, of course, then the recycling centers have to ask themselves, what's our, our moral or ethical responsibility here? If we just accept all this stuff, aren't we co-conspirators? And the answer is yes. And so it is with the tongue. If the garbage picker or recycler comes into your presence to do their recycling and you just take it all in, you're a co-conspirator. We can say, well, I didn't say it. I'm just listening. No. If you listen to it, you are guilty. Proverbs 18, verse 8, the words of a tell-bearer are like tasty trifles, dainty delicacies. They go down so good, so sweet. John Calvin writes, we delight in a certain poisoned sweetness experienced in ferreting out and disclosing the evils of others. The poison sweetness. God hates it. Proverbs 17, verse 4, an evildoer listens to wicked lips. An evildoer listens to wicked lips, and a liar gives ear to a mischievous tongue. We must be careful what we hear. One of my friends in the ministry Tells the story about somebody complaining about his sermons all the time. And one time, as the man came to complain again after the service to the elder, the elder said, hey, let's just go over and talk to him. So the elder grabbed the complainer and the pastor, and they went. And he said, here, you tell him. Just go ahead and tell him. We can do that sometimes, can't we? Have you spoken to the person you're upset with? You already spoke to me and listened? Well, then let's, let's go together, shouldn't we? One author cites an old rabbinic saying, Slander kills three, the one who speaks it, the one who listens to it, and the one whom it is spoken about. When we listen to bad speech about others, we encourage the speech. And we cannot avoid ourselves making judgments in our mind. Philip Graham Reichen notes, The victim of gossip never gets to defend themselves. They never have a chance to explain their circumstances, clarify their motives, or correct the misconceptions people have about them. Instead, they are charged, tried, and convicted in the court of public opinion. The Heidelberg Catechism has it exactly right when it says that we are never to join in condemning anyone rashly or without a hearing. You see, if you, if you listen to what somebody says ill about someone else, then you have to go ask the other person for the other side of the story, don't you? Because Proverbs, you know, reminds us that there's two sides to every story. Proverbs 18, verse 17, The first one to plead his cause seems right until his enemy, excuse me, until his neighbor comes and examines him. Or Proverbs 18 verse 13, he who answers a matter before he hears it, it is folly and shame to him. What's the other side of the story? Are we content to judge people without hearing their side? Death and life is in the power of the tongue. For ourselves and for others, 
Our foul words pollute our hearts and our faulty testimony injures others. And so Jesus says something in Matthew chapter 12. He says, but I say to you that for every idle word men speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified and by your words you will be condemned. And so what will we do if the Lord keeps a record? Well, there be no hope for any one of us. We are just like Isaiah, people of unclean lips. But when we cry out like Isaiah to the Lord of mercy, God sends a different word. And that's what we want to consider, secondly, this morning, the spiritual contest in which God has won the victory for us. James, as we read this morning, says this thing where two things come out of our mouths, blessing and cursing. How can that be? They don't go together. And the answer, of course, James knows, Spirit is telling us, is that the stream of words has been polluted by Satan. And that slithering serpent, or maybe he was crawling at the time, but he came into the garden and he had a forked tongue, didn't he? He had a, a faulty language, a foreign language, and he taught us to lie. And so the Catechism says that we have to avoid lies and deceit as the very works, the very devices of the devil. This is, this is his language. This is what they speak in Satan's kingdom. And Satan slandered God, of course, in the beginning and led Adam and Eve astray by his lies and that, by the way, boys and girls, is why mom and dad care so much about truth speaking in the home, right? Mom and dad punish lying tongues, and they tell you that God hates a lying tongue. Because if there's untruth, if there's lying, then the whole relationship of parents to children, and this whole calling of parents to teach their children is undermined if there's not a stable, stable platform for truth. So the first thing you always have to deal with is a lying tongue. Cannot have lying. We must speak truth. Lies are of the devil. But Adam and Eve feasted on that lie. And God could then just said, that's it, I'm done with you. And, and he could have turned away and gone silent on us. But instead, he came with a word of grace. I was reading the Belgic Confession because I... At the class this meeting, I get to do the part of the ministerial exams on confessional knowledge. So I was reading through the Belgic, and I, I was struck again by this little paragraph, Article 17. It's just a little paragraph. It summarizes the whole gospel. It says, We believe that our most gracious God, in his admirable wisdom and goodness, seeing that man had thus thrown himself into physical and spiritual death and made himself wholly miserable... God was pleased to seek and comforting him when he trembling fled from his presence, promising him that he would give his son, born of a woman, to bruise the head of the serpent. You see that? When Adam and Eve had bought the lie, God came seeking them to comfort them with a word, the word of promise. And that promised one is Jesus, whom John, the gospel writer, calls the word. Jesus is the Word. He is the supreme communication of God. And this is the great battle between God's Word and Satan's Word. And it's a battle of words, isn't it? Satan lying against Jesus and Jesus preaching the truth. And never did anyone speak so purely as the Lord Jesus in all his years upon earth. Think about it. From, from his, his childhood to his death, Christ never spoke a wrong word. 
never spoke a single sinful syllable. He never spoke when he should have been silent. He was never silent when he should have spoke. His speech was perfect. Raymond Ortman writes, his words were infallibly wise and we felt outclassed. We felt threatened. We felt shamed. So we killed him. And he took it. Why? What happened at the cross? On the cross, Jesus loved us so much that his sacrifice deleted the damning record before God of every foolish word you and I have ever spoken. He took the divine condemnation for our lies insults, gossip, put-downs, bragging, false promises, and griping, as well as our guilty silence when we should have spoken up, he took it all onto himself and hit the delete button. Christ, the true witness. Christ, the true witness. Well, Christ said things that, that showed people were not good people, right? Christ told the Pharisees who they were. But Christ always spoke in truth, and he always spoke in love. And Christ went to the cross, and he got what Adam and Eve deserved in the garden, a God who goes silent on sinners. He got what we deserve. Christ, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you not speaking to me? Why are you not communicating to me, God? Christ got the desolation of hell, the thing that you and I deserved. But through that suffering, Christ has secured for us a new name. Our reputations were sullied, and rightly so, but Christ has given us a new name, his name, a righteous name. Proverbs says, a false witness will not go unpunished, but Christ was punished in our place. And God has justified us. And who now will bring a charge against God's elect? But Christ not only took away our sin, Christ has purchased for us the spirit who transforms our lips and our hearts. And so the third thing, and this is the thing we can continue to rejoice in, is not just that we have a clean record before God, but we have now a redeemed instrument of usefulness and benefit to others, a mouth that glorifies God. Let's look at number three, it's life-giving power. Proverbs says, death and life, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And so by God's grace, we can choose to speak words of life, words of truth. We can build up instead of dividing. We can lift up instead of tearing down. Can't do it in our own power, we know that. We have to pray for grace. I'm been made increasingly aware over the years that I need to plead for God's help before I go to any meeting because I've left many, many meetings regretting something I said or the way I said it. So I've tried to adopt Psalm 141 verse 3, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. You can pray that, can't we? Every day. We can turn, by God's grace, our lips into instruments of restoration now. Proverbs 12, verse 18, There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. 
We can go to those we've wounded and confess sin and ask for forgiveness and seek to restore the relationship. We can go to those whom we've alienated. We can counsel those who've been hurt and encourage them to handle it in the right way. We live in a world of fires, the scorched earth policies of wicked tongues. And we as Christians get to speak life, truth, a word that heals, and ultimately the word that heals, the gospel. To speak to a people who who only know one language. Somebody asked me once, what do you... What do you call someone who speaks three languages? Trilingual. What do you call someone who speaks two languages? Bilingual. What do you call someone who speaks one language? American. But the language I'm speaking here is not English. The language I'm speaking about that that the world knows the one language they know is not English, but the language of Satan, the lie. And we get to go to those who, who, who are entrapped in that poison of lies and say there's a word of truth that can set you free to those who are wholly miserable having plunged themselves into sin and under God's condemnation to do what God has done for us to seek and comfort those who flee from God and say there's a savior the true witness Jesus Christ who's died for the sins of his people Christians of all people have something to say. The world babbles on with words that shouldn't be spoken, but the Christian has something to say. Praise and thanksgiving to God to be voiced. Philippians 2 says, Do all things without grumbling or questioning, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. This grumbling, questioning world, and you get to shine like lights because you hold the word of God dear. So you go to work, and instead of complaining, you praise the Lord. Instead of tearing down your boss, you turn away, and you speak of his good qualities. Instead of being part of the problem, you suggest a solution and work for it. God has the power not just to silence our cruel words, but to fill our lips with grace. Listen to this Proverbs, chapter 10, verse 11. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. Proverbs 10, verse 21. The lips of the righteous feed many. Weary lives are blessed by words well spoken. And we are restocked every day from the word of God. Proverbs 12.25, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. could write that over the doors of our church, couldn't we? Because we come here on Sundays, don't we, to be refreshed. Not only by the, the preached word, but by the spoken word, one to another. The word of good cheer for a brother or sister who, who's on the same side who helps us look at life correctly, who gives us a word with a smile. Proverbs 15, 28, the heart of the righteous studies how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours forth evil things. Christians should care about language. 
This is a good answer for your parents when your kids say, what do I have to, what do I have to learn about verbs and nouns and grammar? Well, say, because you're made in the image of a speaking God. And you must labor to speak and to speak well. Not just in English grammar, but, but words that are useful and words that are helpful. And dear parents, this is one of the greatest things you can do for your children is to teach them how to speak the truth in love. We've all met people where we thought, I wonder what went on in their home when they grew up. Because when they speak, they pour out such violence and filth. They're so contentious. Their words are so destructive. Do we teach our children that in our home we never yell in anger? That we don't speak with disrespect? That we don't tear others down? Because soon our children will be adults in the church. And will they contribute to the unity of the body? Or will they be the person who splinters the church? Have they learned how to speak? Have they learned how to hold their tongue? Have they learned how to hold things in confidence? Have they learned how to speak the truth in a difficult place with love? You see, that's important. Our words can be a great, great blessing. Words of life and words of healing. Let me end with this by pointing out that there's a lot of lonely people in churches. I've spoken to a number of people in churches throughout the years who feel alone, particularly affected are those who've lost a spouse and those who are divorced and those who have an unbelieving spouse that won't go to church with them. The words spoken to them on Lord's Days are tremendously important. And there's visitors that come in among. The Lord has blessed this congregation with lots of visitors throughout the years, right? And we should not grow weary of speaking a good word, warmly welcoming. There's so much good to be done with our tongues. What a blessing it is to be made in God's image and through Christ to be remade in God's image. That this powerful instrument of our lips need not be a scorching fire or a destructive sledgehammer, but become the instrument of building, of protecting, of instructing, of guiding, of raising up an anxious heart, of speaking words of comfort to those in need. It's a blessing, isn't it, to belong to this congregation? to experience those things weekly. And may we ask God for more grace to confess our sin and to be more sanctified in every word we speak. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we lift our hearts to you. Where would we be if you did not speak through the eternal word to us. We thank you, God, for your rescue. We thank you that he who is the faithful witness was willing to stand in the place of the guilty and to die for our careless words, our unkind and malicious words, our lies and our deceit. 
God, rescue us even again from the way and the language of the devil. And may the world know that we are your children by the purity and the truthfulness and the measured tones in which we speak. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.